All right. Well, this week we are going to cover seven of these questions. And they all have to do with sin. There's a lot going on with sin in these seven questions. And uh, you may have heard before, there's a, there's a common, it's common for a while, teaching about sin. And that sin means to miss the mark. And that when you shoot an arrow, the arrow wouldn't hit the bullseye, it would hit somewhere else, and they called that a sin. And that's a little bit true, but it's more wrong than true. And it's kind of a, a slippery statement as to why. Um, that paints a picture. Remember last week we were talking about the Trinity? And we were saying there's examples that you can give of how to explain the Trinity that's three in one, but they fall short. That explanation of what sin is, missing the mark, the whole missing the mark teaching of sin, really makes it look like it's something that you could have done and you didn't. Or it's not as good as you could have been. Or you were almost there, but you weren't. And do you realize what what is uh, sort of secret and underlying in all of that is your performance, your works. And sin is actually doesn't have anything to do with your performance any more than God's love for you has to do with performance. So I'm giving you some hints here of where we're going to go. So I'm going to read through all these questions real quick, and then we're going to talk about them all as a bundle, okay? So question 13, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And of course, they say no. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. consistently breaks it in thought and word and deed. The short answer is, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. Alright, so I like this curriculum, it's all good, but that's wrong. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm seeing you guys nod your heads. I'm glad you all know it's wrong. Jesus kept the law perfectly. Like the whole book is about Jesus. <laughs> and we're counting on him to keep the law perfectly. We are desperate for him to keep the law perfectly. So, there's that. The scripture that goes with this this question is Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. It's quoting Isaiah. But we're going to use the verse from Romans. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless No one does good, not even one. Isaiah says this in a time where he is just, he is just broken down. He is depressed. He is full of grief. Grief over God's holiness and righteousness and goodness. But nobody is living for God. And so Isaiah says this. Paul quotes it in saying, don't think That just because you do X, Y, Z, you follow the law. Nobody follows the law. Which leads us to question 14. 
Did God create us unable to keep His law? Were we made unable to do it? The short answer, no. But because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, we are all born in sin and guilt and unable to keep God's law. We are corrupt in our nature. We are, we are corrupt from creation. Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Have you ever heard somebody say, they broke the mold while they were making you? That's how that saying goes, right? No, they broke the mold after they made you. When you were created, we were all created in the fallen state of the world. Later on, Paul says, all creation groans for salvation. So, this is, this is where you got to get it right. Why do earthquakes happen? Right? Why are there tsunamis? Because of sin in the world. Well, it's not because that person sinned and now a tsunami is going to come and, and plop. It's because the whole world is broken and off. So, even nature and creation are bringing about death. Um, Tsunamis happen because of sin, the same reason mold and rust happen because of sin. Because the whole world is in a state of decay and crush and break and rebellion. Rebellion is going to be the key, the key here. Since no one can keep the law, this is question 15, what is its purpose? What is the point of this if nobody can keep it? They answered that we may know the holy nature of God, the sinful nature of our hearts, and thus our need for the Savior. The law teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Even better, there's there's another part where Paul describes the law as a schoolmaster or a nanny or a tutor that would bring you to faith, that would bring you to a knowledge of God. Uh, they, when, um, this will sound really weird now, when seatbelts first became required, they were having a hard time getting people to wear seatbelts. And nobody wanted to wear seatbelts because they got in your way, they messed up your shirt, and you wanted to be thrown clear if you were in a wreck. So people wouldn't wear seatbelts. So they had this thing that they would take around to the fall festival. They would, they would have it outside Kmart. And it was a chair. It was a car chair. And you would go sit in it. And you would buckle up with your seatbelt. And they would pull this lever. And the chair would slide down a ramp. And stop suddenly. And it was supposed to be equal to like a 25 mile an hour instant stop. And they had like a big cushioned dashboard at the end of it. And you wouldn't be crushed and smash into it, but you would have your seatbelt on and you would feel that boom, the, the jarring of the stop, even at 25 miles an hour. And that was to, to get people to, whoa, that's really hard. Like instantly stopping at 25 miles, I, I would get hurt if I didn't wear a seatbelt. And so it gave you an experience 
that drove home into your heart that I'm going to wear my seatbelt when I drive. And of course, kids like me just wanted to ride on the thing because it was fun, right? It looked like a roller coaster. You got to go down the thing, get all shook up, and I want to do it again, I want to do it again. Still forget to wear your seatbelt and get thrown around the car and all that. The purpose of the law was like that. It's a thing that you're going to do and you're going to experience and you're going to participate in. And it's going to drive home into your heart and soul the reality of God. The reality of God's holiness. Wow. If, if God is so holy that every seven days I can't even take 3,000 steps away from my house. If God is so holy that there's this whole complete set of animals that I'm not going to eat because He's holy and to eat those would, would make me unclean and unholy. I love Him so much, I want to follow His law. So I'm trying to paint the law in a good light. Because for everybody, even Jesus, the law was good. King David loved the law. He delighted in the law. So a lot of times, you know, here we are, we're saved by grace, we're free from the law, and it kind of gets a bad rap, and we kind of, oh, that law is stupid, blah, 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 I can eat all the shellfish I want, blah, blah, blah. But to people before Christ that loved God and wanted to express their faith, they, they delighted in the law. But their delight in the law would always mess up at some point because of their flesh, their rebellion. You know, I really want to do this, but I also, it's, you know, even though it's the Sabbath, it'd be a great day to go do this thing. And so they'd go do it and they would break the law. They would break God's law. Uh, the year of Jubilee is a great example. There's no recording ever in the scripture that the year of Jubilee ever happened. And they were supposed to return their land to the original owners. They were supposed to set every slave free. They were supposed to cancel debts. And whenever that opportunity came up, somebody found a reason to not do that. To keep their land, to keep their slaves, to keep that debt going. Ugh. So its purpose was to give them an experience, a way of life. We talked about this when we went through Numbers. It was also kind of a bill of rights. It was a way of them to establish their government at that time. Because they had been slaves for 400 years. They didn't know how to have government. They didn't know how to rule. All right, where are we? We're going to question 16. So what is sin? If it's not missing the mark. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. And not being or doing what he requires in his law. 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is so much more than this. There's a, a, a lot of people just think that sin is stealing the hubcap. Did you sin this week? It's an activity. It's a thing. I sinned this week. I stole the hubcap. That was my sin. Hmm. Tricky. Because the law that God requires, requires 
that a woman caught in the act of adultery be stoned to death. And Jesus said, that's not what we were going to do with that. So there's more to sin than this. In Genesis 3, Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to God. They bring an offering to God. And it says that Abel joyfully brought his sacrifice, but Cain, God didn't like Cain's sacrifice. And it says his whole face was just, his whole countenance was fallen. And God says to him, what's the matter? Why are you so down? Why are you so down? Sin wants, um, this is my paraphrase, Sin wants to eat you alive, but you must master it. So there, all of a sudden, sin isn't an act of, I lied to my mom, I stole a hubcap, right? Now sin is an, has a personification. It's a being that is crouching and watching Cain and wants to do something to him. It doesn't spell it out clear enough for us, but basically the next thing that happens is that Cain acts on sin getting a hold of him and he acts on it and he commits sin and kills Abel. But from that description in Genesis, from some other descriptions in the Gospels and from Paul, sin isn't just the act. The act. Sin is the power that motivated the act. So Adam and Eve, it says they sinned when they ate the apple. Well, the, the rule, the law was... Don't eat of this tree. Don't eat from this tree. But it says that Eve saw that it was pleasing to the eyes and good for gaining wisdom, and so she ate it. I wonder if the sin was the devil talking to Eve, right? The rebellion, did God really say this? That was the power of sin right there. Did God really say And then the activity on that was Eve eating and doing it. So it's not just the act of doing the wrong thing. Sin is is a power. There is a, uh, a whole trend I've seen lately going on where people are complaining that preachers aren't preaching sin. And I always think that's funny because I thought preachers were supposed to preach Jesus and preach the gospel. What they mean is they're not telling anybody what's wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. They're not preaching against anything. And um, they would be disappointed with me too. Every one of us knows where our weaknesses are. And when we know where our shoulds are, (laughs) I should not have done that. I should not have said that like this. Or I shouldn't have even spoken at all. Or, I know I shouldn't talk like that with the, about that person. Or Okay, so there it is, right? <laughs> the thing that's important is recognizing and knowing 
Jesus said to Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Peter wrote it in his letters. Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to make you sin. He wants to make you stumble. We're not to the hope part yet. We got one more dismal one. Question 17. What is idolatry? All right, okay. We probably covered idolatry enough when we were walking around Athens getting all worked up with Paul. And you could run into an idol more likely than you'd run into a person. But this is a good, this is a really good question to answer here. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator. Trusting in created things rather than the creator. Trusting in is a funny word. Okay, so how do we, how do we play that out some? Where do you get it from? The thing that you want, where do you get it from, right? I remember driving around in my 1996 Toyota Camry. And it, it had a hole in the muffler. It went zero to 60 sometimes. It had a, a paint finish on it that looked like somebody had washed it with an SOS pad. But only in spots. And I saw people I knew buying new cars that were just awesome. And I said, man, I am so glad I do not get my identity of who I am from the car I drive. Do you hear this? Do you hear this little devil? Do you hear this little serpent slithering in this statement, right? I'm glad I don't get my identity from the car I drive and have to buy a $90,000 whatever. Because I drive a 96 Toyota Camry, four-cylinder, three of them work, with the matte white finish. I was still getting my identity from the car I drove. Just backwards. I was taking pride in what a piece of junk it was. And that it wasn't a piece of junk, that it lasted 20 years. That's idolatry. Trusting in, getting our identity from, getting any, anything that we desire from any created thing. Now, does that mean that, oh, are we going to be like the Stoics? Are we going to be like those guys in Athens, the Epicureans and the Stoics? Remember them? And be like, every created thing is terrible. I'm going to automatically, I'm going I'm to pull the upholstery out of my car so I have to sit on bare metal and be uncomfortable and suffer. No, because that's just as dumb, right? It's okay to totally enjoy a created thing. That's the flip side of that. It's just because it's a created thing doesn't mean it's evil. It is totally acceptable, and, and there, there's all kinds of scripture written about it, about delighting in God's creation, delighting in the things that he has made. Part of King David dancing like a fool in his ephod was the celebration that a created thing was coming into his city, the Ark of the Covenant. He had had fellowship with God. He, he, had, he had had such sweet fellowship with God. But the Ark of the Covenant, this created thing, this big golden box was here, and that was a big deal. He was really excited about that. So it's really tricky to know what's idolatry and what isn't. 
But it's easy to know that idolatry is messed up. Getting your hope, getting your identity from anything that can pass away is going to be a sad, a sad, sad story. So, sin is a power and a force that wants to lead us away from God. Idolatry is getting our hope and our identity or anything, any kind of satisfaction, any kind of trust in a created thing. All of this takes us to Romans 6. And we're going to do a speed blast through Romans 6 because Romans 6 is so good at explaining a new believer, a new believer, a, a A new creation, someone who was in sin. If you were created and fallen, which all of us were, and now you want to follow Jesus, Romans 6 gives you a really good description of how to live and and how to reconcile all this stuff. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So see, people are accusing Paul... Remember, as he's going around, he's saying everything that the law of Moses failed to do, the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross has done, has set you free. And remember, he's saying you do not have to follow the law. You are free from the law to follow God, to live for God. And so his accusers are saying, so does that mean we can just keep on sinning? And that'll just make more grace, but we can just sin, 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 and not even care anymore? He says, no, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he is tying this to baptism. Does that mean you have to be baptized for any of this to work? No, that's not what he's saying. But he's comparing it to when you died with Christ, when you were grouped with Christ, when you signed on, I am going to be Christ's. I am going to be with him. You died. And just like Christ was raised from the dead and given new life, you are also raised in him and given new life. And now you have new life in him. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is the good news. There's a a time in my life where I was going to a couple AA meetings because a family member. And so I was going to AA and I got to find out what the whole AA culture was like. uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, when you enter the door, and this has happened even, even later in my life, I've gone over to like pick somebody up for a ride or to drop off food or a coat or pick something up. When you walk in 
it is assumed, it is granted that you are there and that you are an alcoholic. And that you are trying to do something and you're failing at it. That, that is your ticket to entry. Now, I've also been to Victoria National Country Club. And the ticket to entry there is like $150,000 and $10,000 a month. I, I was working. I was not a guest. When you walk in there, it's assumed that you have paid that. And so you're treated a certain way until they find out you're there for your work. <laughs> when you walk into AA, they call them clubs. When you walk into an AA club, it's assumed that you are there as an alcoholic. And I don't know that I've ever met a more welcoming, gracious group of people as I have met there. Because they welcome you whether you are rich or poor. They welcome you whether you are, are homeless or have no scent. Whatever. You are, you are welcome there and you're very free. It's very freeing. So I bring all that up to say, this is talking about you are free from sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And your old self died in him. Recognizing that you needed to die. <laughs> Recognizing my selfishness and my wayward thinking. And, my, and I don't even want to say wayward. My rebellious thinking against God deserved to die. And that it did on the cross when I believed Jesus died for my sins. That Dan Sullivan died. I, I ran into somebody this week that I haven't seen for 30 years and they knew me in high school before I was a Christian. And so I say, you know, I work here, I do this, and I, and I, always, I always introduce myself as this just to, to let them know where we're coming from right away. And I preach at a church on the west side. And I'm a little nervous at first because I'm thinking, okay, they knew how I was in high school. I should have never been a preacher. Like Dan Sullivan, Harrison Warrior, what in the world, y'all? Like the ceiling's going to fall in, the lightning's going to strike something. But Jesus died for my sins. And that punk kid, who he was, died. And now Christ has risen from the dead and I live. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. When I was not running after Christ... So you can you cannot, this is why I don't like to preach against sin. If you're not running after Christ, you can run in any direction you want, and it's the wrong direction. The devil doesn't care how you sin. If he can just keep you from following Jesus, he is winning. 
Every other direction is fine with him. Because Jesus is it. Man. So, what do we do? Do we, do, we, do we live in fear? Oh, the devil's tempted me this way. Oh, the devil's tempted me that way. Oh my gosh. Have you guys ever uh, plowed some ground, right? If you've ever tilled a row, if you've ever run a tiller down a row or shoveled or, or, or pushed a thing, they, they tell you the same thing every time. And it's, it's in the Bible even. You look straight ahead at the thing that you're going towards. You don't look down at where you are. And you definitely do not look back. And as you look straight ahead and you push that thing along, it makes a straight line towards where you want to go. And if you, this is is, uh, driver's ed too. If you look at where you're going, you're gonna be this weavy, wavy line. If you turn around to look, you're going to like fly off the road into a ditch. Let sin therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't your instruments, your body. Your mind, your thoughts, your ideas, your creativity, your joy, what you want to be upset about, all of those are your instruments. And the devil loves to get their attention and draw you away. But what if everything I had, heart and soul, I could focus on Jesus? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. If I could focus everything I have and everything I do on the Lord. And I'm thinking about the Lord and I'm aiming it at the Lord. And and every time a thought comes up of, you know, Isaac, the phone rings at 915. And I immediately think, oh my gosh, he's dead. That's one of those thoughts that just took me and my plow right off the road, right? All right, Jesus, what are you doing with Isaac right now that he's calling me so I can participate in this too? Offer your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Sin will have no dominion over you. You are not under law, under grace. This bit is awesome if you dwell on it and camp on it long enough. Sin only has dominion over you as long as you're under law. So what does that look like? Gosh, I can't preach today. I stole a hubcap last night. I'm not worthy to get up there and talk about the Bible. This person at work just asked me what I think about that new church that opened up somewhere. And do I think they would like it? But I can't talk to them about church because I did a terrible job at church last Sunday. Do you see how this happens? If you're under law, you're under sin. And you're keeping track and you're counting. If you're under law, and man, I just... I mean, where does it stop, right? (laughs) Right? It doesn't stop. 
And Jesus, in His love for you, gave Himself so that you would be free from that. So that you would be under grace. Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? No! If you present yourself, you know, then He goes on. Don't sin. doesn't mean you're going to sin more. You're free. Why are we free? Let's go back to question 18. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? Because this is the real trick. A lot of people will get saved and they'll say, Yes, Jesus died for my sins. He took my sins away. I am clean. And the next week they go out and they sin again. And they think it didn't work. It didn't take. This was me. I got saved. And then I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do all the right things that everybody told me I was supposed to be doing. I just sinned over and over and over again. And then every time I heard an altar call, I thought, well, I guess I have to go back up there and maybe it'll work this time. Since it didn't work the first time, I mean, obviously, I'm still still in hubcaps. Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? No! God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them both in this life and in the life to come. That's terrifying. I'm not going to say it's not true, but I am going to say it doesn't have to be true. This doesn't have to be true and it's not predictable. There's a a hundred gazillion bad things I've done. This used to happen at the rescue mission all the time. Some guy would come in and he would, you know, how's it going? Oh, I just got out of jail. Oh, yeah, what'd you do? And he'd name something he did, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I did that once. The police weren't there. Nobody caught me. I don't know what it was, but. So, a lot of times, our sins do go unpunished in this life. But they all stack up on Jesus. And they all pile up on him. And he was the one that took our punishment. Alright, so the other little funny thing in this book. Did you, you might notice these icons, the little pictures that go with the questions. The one that goes with this one is a lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians 5.5 5 says, You may be sure of this. That everyone who is immoral or impure, who is covetous and idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So that's a scary verse. Because you're like, anybody that's immoral or impure or covetous, And you're seeking after Jesus and you're living the Christian life. But Oh man, that looks like a good... Oh no! I just coveted. And it says I'm not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to draw attention. It says if you are a coveter, if you are immoral, and this is in your identity and in your core of your being of who you are. And every one of us... It's for, it's for every one of us, between us and Christ, to know in the core of my being of who I am, am I a coveter? Or am I a saint that sometimes covets? It says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But I still, 
through the, just the freedom that God has given to every person in the world, I still have the capacity and the ability to covet. Even though that's not what I want to do in the core of my being. And so when I am seeking after Jesus and I am looking to Him, I could be like, coveting is stupid. God has given me everything I could ever want, everything I am. I'm not a coveter. It's all of this, it's a big, it's a big separation of who you are. What? No, no, no. What you do is not who you are. But who you are affects what you do. So somebody asked me what I am. I'm a web designer and I'm a marketing person. No, 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 no. That's what I do. That's not who I am in the core of my being. I could leave that career tomorrow and I would still be the exact same Dan Sullivan, but I'd be Dan Sullivan sock darner. I can leave, that's not who I am. He's talking about if you in the core of who you are are an idolater or coveter, if you're immoral or impure, that's where, that's where I was when my friend said, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And I said, I want that. I want to be on Jesus' side. That impure, immoral coveter that I was died. And I was raised from the dead, right? Spiritually raised with Christ in me. Which takes us to question 19 and 20. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? The answer, yes. God reconciles us to himself by a redeemer. Question 20. Who is the redeemer? The only redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 says, It was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many counted as righteous. And he will bear their iniquities. Jesus is the one who will bear our iniquities. He already bore our iniquities. He continues now. It says in Hebrews, he's continually interceding for us on our behalf before God the Father. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is only one God and there is only one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus. When we go to God, I don't have to go through myself. I don't have to go through all my good deeds. And Lord, you better listen because you saw how much money I gave to so-and-so. Or you saw how I didn't kick that little kitty cat. Or you saw this good deal, this good deed or this bad deed. So now I'm going through myself. I'm not going to go through my grandma who was totally awesome and talked about Jesus dying for her sins and went to church every day and prayed a whole bunch. I'm not going to go through her. There's one mediator between God and man. 
the man Christ Jesus. And I have very good news for you. I have good news for me, anyway. I don't know about you. But my grandma loved me a whole bunch. Jesus loves me more. You, there's all kinds of people that loved us and we think they're awesome. None of them are our path to God because Jesus loves us more. They might be awesome. My grandma was awesome. But Jesus, you guys, Jesus was there. He was there when this happened. He was there when that happened. He was standing there watching me when I did this and that. He knows it all. And He still loves me. Even more so. He has seen my sin and He has said, I will pay for that one too. And I will rise from the dead in you, Dan. So, to preach sin and to talk about sin is fine and whatever, right? So much more than avoiding a bunch of stuff that's not going to give life. Why not run after Jesus? Uh, We have this book that we loaned out, so I can't show it to you. But it's called Live No Lies. And the subtitle is uh, A Monastic Guidebook for Combating Demons. Oh yeah, we have a book called that. It's not like that at all. The whole point of that book is when the thing comes, whoa, yes! We have such a high priest. Jim's busting out the scripture over there. When all these things come at us to discourage us and to beat us down and to distract us, remind yourselves of these truths. Because there's, there's only one you have to remember, right? You don't have to remember, how do, I avoid, how do I avoid sexual sin? How do I avoid coveting? How do I avoid stealing? How do I... Jesus, wherever you are, whatever culture you're in, whatever temptation comes, Jesus... And He is risen and He lives now in you to help you. One last thing. And when you fail, He does not leave you. He does not break fellowship with you. He does not condemn you. Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And just because you sinned does not mean you're now out of Christ Jesus and now you have to get back in by doing this deed and that deed. You're in. You are in Him. You are a saint that sometimes sins. You, you, are not, you are not a sinner. So, hooray. Let's pray. Lord, You have remade us. We praise You, Lord, for Your salvation. We praise You that You raised us from the dead, that You put to death our wicked, rebellious, unbelieving selves, and now our new creation selves that are filled with your Holy Spirit are alive to you. And we want to offer all of our, all of our instruments, our arms, our bodies, 
our thoughts, our hopes, our fears, our worries. We want to offer it all to you and be servants to you, not slaves to sin. We thank you, we exalt you, and we welcome you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right.